I would say we're more aggressive than the average company. First off, there's rules. We are not a custom software shop. I do not build things for one customer. However, if there's something on our roadmap anyway, and it's, I don't know, let's say it's 12 months from now, and this prospect needs it now or sooner, I am willing to rearrange things. As I tell my product teams, like, don't get married to your roadmap. Married means you have emotional attachment to it and that you can't move things around. Because what better proxy for prioritization and speaking with a customer and them saying, I will buy now if you have it now. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaS Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I am your host, Alex Thuma, CEO and founder of SaaStock. Delighted to be joined today by the CEO and co-founder of Pendo, Todd Olson. Uh, welcome, Todd. How are you doing? I am doing great. Great to be here. Yeah, good to good to have you in the podcast for the first time. And we've been running this for it's in, we're in our ninth year now. So I I, th I feel we've had your co-founder Eric on uh, before. I mean, I should know this, but uh, um, it, it's the first time to have you. So delighted to to have you uh, uh, on the podcast and uh, share a bit. It's taking nine the, years uh, to get me on the podcast, Alexander. I'm, That's well, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a scheduling issue. It's a scheduling issue, but uh, yeah, we're, we're we're here now. We we're here now. So it's uh, and and your your ARR is high, higher. And we can uh, we, we can talk about all the the, the great lessons on, on building Pendo to such a, a, a big business. And uh, and Tom, where where are you today? Are you you in um, in uh, it's Carolina, North Carolina is where the offices are, right? Yes, sir. I am in a, sitting in our headquarters in Raleigh, North Carolina. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and I don't know if you know, uh, maybe you do know, but. Uh, Obviously, uh, Pendo acquired uh, Receptive many years ago, and Hannah Chaplin, uh, who's the co-founder of, of uh, um, I was going to say Pendo, of Receptive uh, there, she came to the very first uh, SaaS meetup that I hosted pre-SaaS doc. Uh, and we we remained certainly at that time to like good friends and she came to a lot of SaaS stocks and then I was very happy to see her uh, you know have that exit event and then go into Pendo and I think she's still there now and uh, and very much enjoying herself right she just departed um, she is I, I think uh, last I heard she's going to be a, a computer science professor but there um, Hannah is a special human being and it was an absolute honor to have the to work with her and that office is um, thriving. It's um, I don't know, geez, um, five times bigger than 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 acquisition, yeah. maybe even larger than that. And um, honestly, um, I love Sheffield and I love um, that team. So um, yeah, yeah, really, really good acquisition, and um, really excited about what that team's doing. So yeah, Hannah's Hannah's amazing. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And uh, so, Todd, uh, uh, we've spoken about Hannah, but let's speak about you. Uh, so let, let's start off with who is Todd Olson? Oh, who's Todd? Um, look, I, I uh, you know, aside from being, you know, obviously the co-founder and, and, and CEO of Pendo, I mean, I, you know, I'm a technologist, right? I started my career uh, writing, um, writing code software at age 14 for a bank. Um, I uh, started my first company right out of college, my my seniorish year, so around you know 20 years old. Um, Pendo is my third venture-funded company, and inarguably the most successful. Like you know, I think the first one got kind of caught up in the dot-com era. Second one, I ended up selling to Rally Software, which was a 
you know, what we would call a soft landing. And Rally was a great company, and I had the the pleasure of being part of an amazing team there that helped take that company public, and uh, and I led product there, and that's where I really um, came up or discovered the idea of Pendo, and after departing Rally, um, started Pendo like actually now just over ten years, which is kind of hard to believe, but the company was incorporated in. Octoberish of 2013, and uh, really started getting going in, in early 2014. Is is that where you met Eric uh, at that previous company? So, like, how, how like you, you touched on um, within that business? That's where you came up with the idea. Tell us a little bit more about you know that founding story of Pendo. Yeah, so so I was at Rally prior to Pendo, and I ran product, and we had um, you know, a large SaaS business, enterprise SaaS business, and I. Um, was struggling to how do, do I get data to inform future roadmaps and how do I drive engagement in the product? And we had a homegrown system that sort of instrumented products and brought it into a data warehouse. And it was always kind of missing something. It was always, you know, lacking certain data or somewhat incomplete. I hired a data scientist and he gave me sort of a, a rundown of, hey, we don't have this, we don't have that. Can't give you this answer. It'll take all this engineering time. I'm like, whoa, we're not going to like have an engineering team full time just working on this problem. Like that's crazy. You want them building customer features. So that kind of came up. I, I kind of saw then this opportunity. Wow, it'd be amazing if I had infrastructure just did all this sort of stuff for me. Um, you know, and that, so that was a, a piece of it. The other big piece of it was I could also see that um, – Cloud was making a ship more frequently, which is great. We want to ship more frequently. But then how do you enable and educate customers uh, when you're shipping frequently? What I found is our customers started like, not knowing all the cool things we're building because we're shipping them so frequently. And like it's not their job to keep up with our release schedule. So um, so I saw this, comp, uh, this also this challenge of um, how do you message, how do you educate users? So I kind of formed the idea of, like marrying both into a single platform. Um, and that was sort of the idea. That was the original impetus for the idea. Um, from there, um, yeah, I started talking to friends. You know, um, actually, Eric Bodick, who you're referring to, um, he was my co-founder of my first company, going back to like age 20 out of Carnegie Mellon. Um, so um, we obviously got quite close to that experience. And, and you know how things go. I, I said that, you know, dot-com bubble kind of, you know, sort of impacted that company. We both kind of dispersed, went our separate ways. And then, you know, timing was fortuitous. You know, we had, you know, we were aligned and had, you know, had, had availability. So that's how he and I came together at Pendo. And then two other co-founders, Rahul was um, a VC at uh, the prior company's backer. So core capital partners in, in Washington, D.C. So I called him, I was checking in. He was also sort of like looking for his next gig, so right around the same time. So again, just good timing. And then last but not least, certainly our CTO, uh, Eric Trone, he um, was a friend of a mutual friend. And, and he's another guy where I was like, hey, you should meet this guy. He lives in Raleigh and it's really, you know, I was a great entrepreneur, technologist. And, you know, I was really busy for like years. <laughs> and finally, I was at a time where I wasn't busy. So we had uh, coffee and here we are. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of how it all came together. And, and fast forward, so 11 years later then, uh, I think takes us to, to 2024, right? So you, you said 2013 uh, uh, founded. Uh, what data can you share on the company, um, you know, to give the audience a bit of a picture um, of where Pendo is at uh, right now? So with things like revenue, headcount, funding, customers, et cetera. Yeah, so it's public knowledge that we're over 100 million in ARR. I can say 
we're very comfortably over 100 million in ARR, so um, still growing a nice clip. We're about 800 employees. We um, have raised, I guess, around 350 in, in, in primary capital. Last round was in um, 2021 for context. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of rough, rough sizing, you know, 3,000 customers. Global company, we have offices in eight locations, um, but four of which are outside, maybe five of which are outside. Yeah, five of which are outside the United States. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of rough, rough numbers. Cool. Uh, uh, and thanks. To, and congrats on the, uh, on the great numbers there uh, as well. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm sure obviously we could talk about many things, but we want to go through really the, the, the lessons in building Pendo over 100 million ARR. So, you know, starting from, you know, even getting to that first million ARR uh, right the way through to, I guess, kind of present day. Um, so let, let's jump into that. Um, let's go down to that, uh, that first million ARR. Um, uh, I guess out of interest, how long did it take and what was the hardest part of, of getting to it? Yeah, so it took, um, okay, so if we, we started building Jan 1, 2014, and um, we started actually selling, like taking revenue in late 2014. And then we got to um, a million roughly a year, year after we started selling. So it took about a year, about 12 months, exactly. Um you know, what, what were the challenges uh, of, of that point? I mean, I, I think you're just all fumbling through product market fit. And, and what that means is, is uh, you're talking to customers, um, you're talking to users. You know, our strategy early on was actually pretty darn simple. It was like um, find people interested, like they have this pain that um, we can get them using our software even in a beta capacity and then just iterate, iterate, listen, iterate. You know, it's pretty classic like customer discovery process. And um, you know, through that we continue to evolve the product. You know, um, you know, I'll never forget um, one of the interesting stories from the early days is we were in the like, we, um, battery who did lead our Series A started to be interested, and uh, we weren't raising capital. Um, we didn't actually need capital exactly at that moment. And they're like, hey, we want you to talk to this this portfolio company of ours and see if they'll buy it. They're like a very, very tough company. Like they were hard to sell to. Like they, they didn't buy a lot of things. And you know, we got on the phone with the head of product and like he basically said something to the effect of if you build surveys, we didn't have this concept of surveying people for qualitative data at the time. If you build that, we will buy. And immediately on the phone, it's like, done. We'll have it out in a month. <laughs> now, meanwhile, hadn't talked to the team, didn't really formally spec it. Um, now, I was coding at the times, and, and, I, and, I, and um, so I was pretty close to the engineering and knew how long things roughly took us. But I never go, forget going back to the team. Like, hey, guys, we got to ship this in a month. <laughs> and they're like, whoa. And... Um, like we just powered through. I mean, it was one of those things where we powered through, and and that that's a good example. Um, I think the other big thing for us is you know, it was an analytics company, and you know we were one of the first companies. I think maybe actually probably the first that had this concept of collect everything. So you install us in an application, we collect every user behavior. Well, we had no idea how much data that was. Like literally no idea, and. We had no idea how to predict how much data even would be and, and how much volume and all that sort of stuff. So um, <laughs> like, so we would get on the phone and we would hear how many users a customer would have and like our CTO would be like, Ooh, 
I'm scared about this one. But I'm like, what do you say? I mean, you can't say no. You you, you kind of like just have to do it and see what the hell happens. And um, that is how we operated for years, where we would install on some product. It would crush us. We would madly scramble for a few days and figure out the like scaling pinch points, fix them, and then everything you back to normal. Um, but I can tell you it created stressful years. I mean, um, like one of the more notable ones, which I think it's public that they're a customer, was uh, Zendesk. I mean, I'll never forget when Zendesk first like lit up. They just turned on the product. And next thing you know, like every alarm in the system started like like going crazy. And our teams basically worked around the clock for days and to the point that no alarms went off. And 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 fun fact, Zendesk is still a customer and they still, I mean, one of our top. I mean, just think about that product. Someone sits in front of a computer and uses it all day long every day. Just generates crazy amounts of data. You can't even predict it, right? So like those are the kinds of interesting moments that sort of helped get to to where we got to. And and if we had tried to be perfect or tried to predict in advance or like not closed it until we had it ready, honestly, we probably wouldn't be talking. So makes sense. And, and um, a great story and, and and often quite a classic example there um when you talked about being on the um you know on that sales call with the the, the portfolio company of battery uh who wanted this particular feature that often you hear you know the founders sort of leading sales early on uh and i've been uh on those calls i've been there but also been on the receiving end of the calls where the founder was like yeah you know whatever you want you know we can kind of build it and then they go back to the team uh and have that conversation right but um so it, it, it's pretty common but i guess well, i'm pretty sure also make an assumption that you you grow out as you mature as a business you stop doing that and stop saying yes to customers um so like if we fast forward to today and you're on a call with a you know important customer and they say we just need this particular feature like are you likely to to, to say yes or, or are, you, are you likely to take this back and say this could be interesting for us but it goes into a list and it, it, there's a bit more of a process there i would say we're more aggressive than the average company um but it does depend like okay first off there's rules we are not a custom yeah. software shop i do not build things for one customer um, however if there's something on our our, our um roadmap anyway and it's, I don't know, let's say it's 12 months from now. And this customer and or prospect needs it now or sooner. I am willing to rearrange things. I, I, as I tell my product teams, like, don't get married to your roadmap. Married means you have emotional attachment to it and that you can't move things around. Because what, what better proxy for prioritization and speaking with a customer and them saying, I will buy now if you have it now or, or not. Like that, that to me is one of the greatest um, signals of prioritization, you know, that you can actually have in your business. So, so I am like actually pretty comfortable rearranging and you'd be actually surprised to know, even at our size and scale, we rearrange things pretty aggressively. And, and I think, I think we're maybe known for that. Um, and it's maybe because I have a product background that I am very comfortable, um, being aggressive. I mean, I, I, I think, part of our success and part of how we got there is like a level of scrappiness and a level of chip on our shoulder that like I, I think I think the companies that don't do it, I, I hear this a lot from tech companies in particular, they have like a level of arrogance that's like, no, customers don't know better than we do. Um, like our roadmap's perfect, we, you know, we're you know super smart, blah, blah, blah. And, and not to say our team isn't intelligent, I think we are, but we are um, willing to listen to customers um, probably more aggressively than other companies are, even at our size and scale. And I, and honestly, I don't want to change that. 
I don't want to change it. Yeah, it's got to be a little different. But but no, I um, now look. Am I going to commit to an exact date on behalf of an engineering team about talking? No, I can't do that now. That that that's a little irresponsible. Um, but we can attack it, get estimates, and then and then and then commit. Like we will commit to a customer one hundred percent, even today. So, um, and I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah. The people that get emotionally attached to these things and like have this perfect process, the hell with all that. That, that, that to me isn't winning. So I want to win, Alexander. So win takes extreme things sometimes. I, li- I like that. I like that mentality. Uh, and hopefully, all founders, uh, CEOs, want, want to win as well. But uh, obviously, some have different ambitions. Uh, but uh, you, you mentioned again that that sales call. So uh, as a founder CEO, I'm assuming you led sales for a certain period of time. Um, how long did you lead sales for? Uh, and then at what point did you stop leading sales? Um, and then actually then fast forward to, to, to today, uh, do you actually still spend any time on sales? Or are, are you uh, spending a percentage of your time on sales? Yeah, so I formally led sales and did sales myself until May of 2015. May of 2015, I, hired, I just luckily hired like a very good head of sales, um, great hire, local CEO who, um, you know, I think just formed a nice partnership. Um, and then and, and, and that was the exact date. But what, okay, what, what, what was happening? What was happening was I just had way too much to keep up with. So at the end of the day, like the, the amount of inbound, the amount of deals I was working, it just was way too much for one human. And, and this is like it goes back to one of my classic um, startup like um, philosophies is hire for pain. So we hired sales because it's pain. Now I'll tell you this: this is probably just a good fact for most entrepreneurs. Is like, I had investors telling me to hire salespeople like eight months prior. I just ignored them. That was the right call because it allowed to create this feedback loop that you just heard that wouldn't have existed if I had some like junior level sales rep like making cold calls for me. So so I think um, waiting till I had you know a couple customers, better product market fit, like things were smoother then than than they would have been if I hired earlier. Um, and that was great. Um, and now, look, I didn't, like, walk away. Like, for years, one of the cool hacks we would do is I would sit on the sales floor, and I would just listen. And if, like, a sales rep got um, stuck, I, they would slack me, and I would just join on to the Zoom call, and I would immediately help them. Because a big part of it was teaching sales reps, people that have never done, like, product management, how to speak to and relate to a PM. So, um and sometimes it took me getting on the call and just kind of like, you know, helping, to be quite honest, and coaching. It's coaching. And I think that active coaching really helped in the early days. It was a, it's a hack for enablement. Like, look, yeah, now Pendo has like a team of, I don't know, eight people in enablement. And we have all this like stuff and we have content. We had nothing then. So like, how are you going to teach people? Well, you got to teach them by showing them. You got to actually do it for them. Um, now, your question is, um, fast forward to today. So um, am I involved in sales calls? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, and some of it is on the customer side and because we do a lot of expansion revenue. But um, – and, and honestly, we've struggled with this, finding a way to do it really, really well. But um, we instituted this great executive program for our entire C-suite, myself included, that we wanted to do um, 75 meetings over two quarters. And um, we crushed it. We did a little over 80 meetings. So that's just – that's meeting with customers. And that's everything from uh, – building relationships with executives to like helping understand where we can partner with them better mix of product. Um, I, I did actually have done demos on these things. Um, and that takes, you know, work to stay sharp and, and prepped. And then another example was, um, on, uh, 
last day of the quarter was last Wednesday. And um, we had a team uh, in particular that's very close to their goal. Um, and this was like probably a little after 5 p.m. Eastern time. And they needed like basically one deal to get to goal. And I helped. I made some cold – I mean, I, we cold called someone that we thought was a good one. I, you know, got to the right person. We um, negotiated on the phone what I thought was a fair transaction, and we closed it you know, right at about 11.30 p.m. So um, uh, I think if you're not willing to get your hands dirty and not willing to um, help your team, I think it's – it's. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't do this a lot, but I always believe if I can help – you know, um, and sometimes I am the right person to do that in the org, like, then I should do it. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Let's look at the 1 million to 10 million ARR um, sort of milestones then. Again, roughly, how long did that take? And what were some of the key takeaways from that uh, period of getting to 10 million? I mean, probably a little under two years is probably like the right measure. Maybe like two years would be a conservative estimate. So, um uh, what, what, you know, what are the milestones? Um, I mean, honestly, it's a blur. We were growing really fast then, like more than, like more than tripling was generally speaking our, our, our position. We had a lot of inbound demand. Um, uh, you know, actually one of the interesting, um, timeframes in the company was rare in our series BC. So that would be the end of 20, like 16 ish. And, um, I, I, you know, I think what we ultimately did was it, we, we did two rounds kind of back to back, and then that really supported us doing our first acquisition. We did our first acquisition in 2017, and um, that was to get mobile support. It was um, it was tough. Like we were a 90 person company, we acquired a 30 person company who was um, primarily in Israel. So like that was uh, the first time I've ever been in the country. Um, now this team had mobile support, and we we at the time didn't support mobile at all, and we knew, of course, that we had to eventually to achieve our goals. So um, that was all happening while we were tripling, tripling. So like our revenue is tripling. We're acquiring a company. We're opening up a, our, our first international office. We're going back and forth a ton. Uh, that that was a bold move, hiring a thirty like acquiring a thirty person company when you're ninety people, but um, ultimately the right one. I mean, uh, it, it, unquestionably, the right right decision at the time. We we had, you know prior to that had a single engineer working on mobile, making no progress. It was almost embarrassing to be quite honest. I have no idea what the hell we were thinking, thinking this one guy was going to build this entire solution, um, but we had him. So I think you know we we obviously shifted directions when we found this this opportunity. But that was probably one of the more memorable bolder moments that we had probably in the company history so on, on uh, so from from what i know in some i mean there, there are obviously uh, not one playbook one size fits all but there is a, a proven path and i guess kind of typically when you're sort of going 50 million to 100 million uh, m&a can play a big part in that growth and expansion but obviously from what i'm hearing you're making uh, you're involved in M&A you know uh, at and around the 10 million mark or, or lower were there any uh, other sort of M&A activity I don't know what what, um, what ARR you were at when you acquired receptive but like did you do uh, a little bit before 50 million and and was that unconventional or it was just you know as you say we had the holes in the product or we needed to buy these things or we saw exceptional companies that would have value yeah I, I think um, well, receptive acquired 2019 um, so we would have been under a hundred. We would have been, 
probably under 50. Yeah, we would have been around 50, or you know, either either under or, or close. And look, we, we acquired receptive because we were passionate about the problem and passionate about the product. Um, we, we didn't actually need it for revenue or growth. I think we needed it for our long-term vision. And we look at these things, similar for, for mobile. We, we, we acquired the mobile company because we know we need, we need mobile. And like when I first saw a demo of the product, I'm like, wow, that is awesome. And I mean, similar for receptive, I think um, that combined with the team on receptive, yeah, I already, we already talked a little bit about Hannah, but, and, and Dan, the, her co-founder, like we're like, this is a good scrappy team. This fits our culture. We spent a lot of time with them. Um, Look, we, we, I, I have believed since day one that the ultimate winner in our market, and then I would I, I sit here and argue that th- there isn't a declared winner in our market yet. It's still a pretty new-ish market, but I think the winner is going to be a broad solution. And I want to be the platform that product teams use to make their products better, period. And that platform is going to have a variety of capabilities. And um, – uh, more than just product analytics, more than just messaging, I think it's going to have more. And, uh, and Receptive represented one of the things I think is a critical part of the day-to-day workflow of product manager, which is like get these feature requests. How do I, how do I manage them? How do I um, prioritize them and, and, and use as further evidence to inform my decision? So, so to me, it was just like it's always going to be part of our platform. It's just how are we going to do it? Are we going to build it? Are we going to buy it? Um, in this instance, we felt buying was was um, the right course of action, and um, and, and you know, the other th- thing is um, we're still learning about these markets. It takes years to really, I, I think, nail it, and um, the sooner you get started on learning about the, the various intricacies of certain problem domains or, or certain capabilities, like the, it increases the likelihood of of success essentially. So so yeah, um, I, I think you also see that we. We use this thing called strategic pillars or um, actually anchors, excuse me. Um, in a strategic anchors, we have three of them. And these three things are like the lens through which we evaluate all strategic decisions. You know, um, and one of them is called bold by choice. And um, so we look at decisions and like honestly, if there's a bold answer and a less bold answer, we will almost always pick the bold answer. And let's be honest. Like acquiring companies when you're small is sort of a boldish move. Um, and look, while we've acquired three total companies, we've probably looked at a dozen, you know, since I've been here. And and um, so, so yeah, I think we're aggressive. Like, I, I want to play to win. When you play to win, like, you do behave aggressively. Um, but I think it's just part of how we operate. I'm curious, the, the, just on the other two strategic anchors, uh, what are they? Because I, <clears throat> I like the bold by choice one, so uh, I'm hoping I'll like the other two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the other one is um, value in the platform. So it's a platform-based method. I've already talked about that. Um, and um, and I'll say how that informs things is when we prioritize features, we look at um, the intersections of platform areas. And we, I push the team to build things that are within those intersections because they're almost not – you can't copy those because it, unless you have the, the, the same breadth of platform that we do, which most people don't. So I think that's an area where we invest pretty heavily. So value in the platform is the second one. And the third one is what we call driving the product-led movement. It's like we believe that the future of most companies is some digital-led, product-led motion. Like it's the whole concept of like software driving the world and um, – and we want to be 
the leaders that help companies adopt these principles. And it's not just our software application. It's our content and um, our messaging and our education services. Um, so, so you'll see us. Those are the three things. Everything we do falls within generally one of those three things, mostly three of those three things. And, you know, it's like I mean, you, you probably know our, like our user conference isn't called the Penda User Conference. It's called Pendemonium uh, because it's a bolder great idea. Name. You know? It's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we had both options on boards. We just picked the one that was a little bolder. So that gives you sort of an example of kind of how we, how we think about these things. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And I, yeah, I, I've, I've never been, but I, I love the name of the uh, the event. So. You're always welcome. You're welcome. I think you'd have fun. So, I, no, definitely. Because um, uh, so, uh, conscious of time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ten to fifty million. But I, I want to know what's the hardest thing about getting from fifty million to hundred million. I'm sure there are many, but uh, maybe if you can name uh, one or two. Yeah, that was a tough one, man. So that that that, it, that the slog. I mean, uh, well, look. I mean, I think there's a lot of challenges. You know, one of the more notable challenges is that, um, you know, t- company growth outpaces often human and like professional growth. So you have this concept where your company is growing and then eventually your execs, it's just really, really hard to keep up. So you need to change over your executive team. So I've done that now basically twice um, to get to where we've gotten to today. And that creates a lot of change when you like, you know, change change executives because it kind of cascades throughout, throughout the entire organization. That's probably one of the biggest things. And um, we're a bit lucky, actually, that our we've had a CFO since 2017 and the same one. So we have that's one of the only roles we have not had to really make any changes around. And that that means like the back office, like honestly, the stuff I'm not good at and don't care as much about. I, I care about it, of course. I know that needs to exist. It's just not my personal passion. That kind of just all handled for me in a consistent manner. So that that is actually pretty useful. Um, for us, we moved to the enterprise and moving to the enterprise is, um, a different motion to slower motion. Feedback loops are slower. Um, uh, I think, I think our product stack had to evolve. Our go to market motion had to evolve. And honestly, we have not been great at it. Like we've been historically great at more of an inbound mid market motion. That's what we're known for. That's drove all of our early growth up to 50 so, like, trying to become an enterprise-focused business has been hard. We've gotten it wrong a few times. Um, knock on wood, I think we're getting it, we have it right now. Um, but it took us, you know, years to get there. And, and so that means you're, like, scrapping your way to 100. Like, it was not, like, a simple get to 100. I mean, we were fighting to get to 100, um, even beyond 100. I think we're still fighting in many, many ways. But, but um, again, I, I, I feel good where we are today. But that's a hard transition. Yeah, awesome. Well, th- thanks for sharing that. And we'll, we're going to go into the quickish fire rounds uh, now, Todd. So I'd like to know what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? One thing that moved the needle the most? I mean, honestly, just hard work. So like when in doubt, work harder. So like it is not more complicated than that. So like I wish I could say there's some like amazing secret to success. But no, I just I, I work really hard. <laughs> that's it. What about the best advice you've ever received? Um, I love this advice. Uh, one person told me, do the things that only you can do. Like, we all have choices. Leaders do lots of things. I can do many things. But, like, there are some things that only I can do. Only I get invited to certain conferences. Only I can talk to certain executives. So I, 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 my priorities are based on that. Biggest failure you've made and lesson learned? I, I, it goes back to hiring. 
like in, in waiting on making a change. Like anytime someone like in your people team tells you, oh, it's too disruptive to make this change, they're probably being too conservative, they're wrong. Just ignore it and make the change. So like you know best. Hardest thing about being a CEO? It's that you're always a CEO. Like it doesn't turn off. There is no turn off. So like like doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, um, the role's an always on role. So like like yeah, it means on the weekends I like to like hide in my house and do nothing. So it's uh, <laughs> that's probably the hardest thing. Have you got a favorite book on business uh, and why and what is it? I mean, I loved to Jim Collins' books, Good to Great. It's like a, a classic book. Uh, um, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Good stuff. All right. Well, Todd, we come to the end of the show. You've been a fantastic guest. Uh, I love the, 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 the energy, the play to win mentality, um, uh, and, and obviously uh, some amazing success. If people wanted to reach out to you, um, where can they find you online? Where, you know, what channels are you maybe more active on? Yeah. I mean, um, certainly find me on LinkedIn. I'm Todd Olson on LinkedIn. Um, obviously our website, pendo.io. And then um, I'm on Twitter, T. Olson. I mean, uh, I'm, I don't post as much, but I do read it constantly and I, I react to things. So, But uh, any of those venues are great to reach me. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Todd Olson, CEO and founder of Pendo, thank you so much for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution show today. Uh, really appreciate you sharing with the SaaS.com community. My pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.